So it was really important for me to make sure that the families had the digital learning literacy training. I didn't want anybody ever left behind, and I don't think anybody in a rural community as well as urban community should be left behind and not be able to be part of the digital age. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancocks, and with me again this week is my co-host, Kate Meese, as we continue our conversation about broadband access for all. Hi, Kate. How are things in Sacramento today? Things are going great. Enjoying the beautiful weather. Great. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to encourage our listeners to sign up for our weekly email where we share information about the show and important information about building more sustainable and equitable communities. You can sign up by going to infiniteearthacademy.com and uh, just enter your email address. And we send a short, brief email once a week uh, giving uh, updates and information. I also want to ask Uh, you to help us spread the ideas we talk about on the podcast by encouraging a friend or colleague to listen to the show. We don't sell advertising on the show, so we don't have a big advertising budget. We rely on partnerships and word of mouth to reach a bigger audience, so your help is greatly appreciated. Today, we are going to pick up where we left off last week in our conversation about broadband access. Last week, we really talked a lot about why broadband access is so important to rural and exurban communities, their economy, social life, health, agriculture, etc. And we talked about some of the efforts to improve access. So, Kate, we're, it was a great show last week. I really learned a ton listening to you and Trish, and I'm looking forward to today's show. Yeah, I am too. Assembly member Aguiar has been a, a really large figure in this space, in the broadband space, and has been a huge advocate at the city level in the city of Winters, and now at the the state assembly. So it's going to be great to have a chance to talk to her a little bit about this. Yeah. And I, as I said, I I learned a lot last week and I I expect I'll learn a lot again this week. I, I think this is one of those subjects that you think you understand, you think you understand some of the implications, but then when you, you dig a little deeper, you realize like just how integral internet access, broadband access is to just every part of our life and our economy and how not having that access really um, holds people back. It really keeps people from fully participating in in our economy and our society. Yeah, especially in rural communities. We'll, we'll speak more about that. I think it's something that many of us take for granted and you don't think about it until it's not working. And that is the case with a lot of the infrastructure that we we enjoy, whether it's you know water availability, water quality, our electricity, you know our transportation infrastructure. You take it for granted until it's an issue, and you know it is something that is an issue for far too many people in the United States. Great. So why don't we get to our guest? 
Well, I'm so pleased to have with us California State Assembly member Cecilia Aguiar Curry, who was elected in November to represent the 4th Assembly District, which encompasses the Napa Valley wine country and parts of the Sacramento Valley, beautiful district. Cecilia has served as planning commissioner in the city of Winters and then a city council member, eventually serving as the first female mayor of Winters, where among many other achievements, she brought broadband internet to rural communities and helped the area become an agricultural and food innovation hub for the region. Cecilia was named in 2014 as a California Emerging Technology Broadband Champion. So she's the the perfect person to have with us today to talk about broadband. So thanks so much for for being with us, Assemblymember Aguiar. Thank you so much for inviting me today, and I'm anxious and looking forward to talking about broadband. Great. So talk to me a little bit about how your your leadership started on this issue. You did a lot of work in winters negotiating with telecommunications companies to increase broadband access. Why was this an important issue for you to lead on? Well, first and foremost, it, it was because I was looking for a way to stimulate the a relationship between the school district and the city council. And one way to do that was during the economic downturn is to figure ways to how do you make your schools better. And the opportunity of an investment came through from the Yochadihi tribe to bring tablets to the schools in winters and technology. And along those lines, you initially, you'll need broadband. You need internet connectivity when we start bringing tablets and maybe having the possibility of those tablets going home with the children. Ultimately, the California Emerging Technology Fund, with the leveraging of the investment from the Yochadihi tribe, we were able to get a program called School to Home. And students were trained on how to use the tablets, the fifth graders, and the parents also had to be trained. Um, and we got 100% of our families to get trained. And that couldn't have been uh, happened without the school board's approval as well as the teachers really buying in because this was all new to them as well. So it was really important for me to make sure that the families had the digital learning literacy training. I didn't want anybody ever left behind. And I don't think anybody in a rural community as well as urban community should be left behind and not be able to be part of the digital age. We talked with Trish Kelly with Valley Vision, who I I know you've worked with, about Mm -hmm. the number of people that are underserved and underconnected and how big of an issue that is for certain populations, certainly rural regions, but also it's an issue of race and socioeconomic status as well. So has that been something that has been a big challenge in in the Winters area, the underconnected related to access to Internet? Yeah, it, it initially was. And the, what happened with this whole program was that um, it did transform my community. And this transformation can happen in, in a neighborhoods. It can, it can happen in a community. These things can happen. And because people always said, well, you know, in a rural community, you don't have necessarily an educated population to be able to take on this digital literacy. I say that's wrong. And the problem is, is that you're not exposed to this, these opportunities. So bringing this kind of education to the forefront in our schools, in our libraries, in our community is um, really important to all of us. It helps with the economic development. It helps with telehealth. It helps with so many things. So I think is that, yeah, initially, yeah, some of our underserved, all of our underserved communities have that uh, challenge of being trained, knowing how to work with technology, having the ample 
resources to do that are challenges, but I think now with this broadband bill, AB 1665, we're going to be able to tackle some of these really difficult conversations that we haven't been able to have before. So let's go ahead and dive into to AB 1665, which is a bill you're, you're co-authoring on broadband access. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about the bill and what you're hoping it will achieve? Well, it was, it's been a long road. As many people know that I've been promoting this through my years as being a city council member and everywhere I go, people call me the broadband woman because I always <laughs> say, I want broadband. But what happened is, is that um, when I, I was elected and I uh, ran on the importance of getting internet for all is that we, I approached a couple of the other assembly members and we had this discussion of how can we make sure this broadband bills go through. And it was particularly important to me in talking with the telecoms. And by the way, I want to say the telecoms have come to the table and I'm delighted that these conversations have finally come to fruition that we have this bill. But we want to make sure that the rural communities were connected because it's very easy to say the state of California, 95% of the people were had internet capabilities. But quite frankly, that 95% could be just taken up with the populations of the San Diego's, Los Angeles, the Silicon Valley's, the San Francisco's, the big bigger communities. But rural communities weren't included in that. So we on this bill, it was really important that we included rural communities had to have the connectivity the same as 98% as everyone else had throughout the state. So that was the number one spot for me is because I want to make sure this rural communities, because remember, we have agriculture, we have a lot of businesses in these rural communities that need the access to the internet. So that's, you know, that's kind of where it all started out with is that we wanted to make sure this bill covered the rural community. So basically it's a $330 million bill, $300 million goes to infrastructure, majority of it goes to the rural communities, a portion goes to the urban areas because believe it or not, there's a lot of areas within our larger communities that do not have internet. We want to make sure it gets to there. And some goes to uh, the consortias, starting to bring the consortias back, as well as adoption. The other one that's really important about this bill is that we wanted to make sure it was inclusive, and we're adding other things to this. We're hoping to do work with the libraries on this and also do some high school training classes that people can use on the Internet as well. So there's a lot that can go on. But the best thing is, is leveraging the money that we will be working with, with the telecoms for federal money. There's federal money out there with HUD, USDA, uh, Homeland Security. So now California can go after those other monies that are out there that have been promised for so long, but we couldn't go after it because we didn't have the infrastructure in. That's fantastic. And I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about the federal level here. We know that this administration has really campaigned on a promise of investing in rural areas and investing in infrastructure improvements, but we're also seeing signs of reduced funding for critical rural services such as airlines. So, you know, you mentioned that there's funding available through HUD and and other um, mm-hmm. and other agencies, but are you in discussions at the federal level around? providing these essential infrastructure services for rural areas? Well, in the past couple of years, we've had these discussions many a time with USDA, particularly with HUD. And so now it's going to be really kind of fun is to actually have a serious conversation about these monies. We knew the funding was out there, but we really couldn't approach it until we had infrastructure in some of these rural areas. So uh, now the, cons- the, the conversations will be more solid. They'll be more precise and specific going forward. 
That's great. And I know that there was a, a group from the Sacramento region led by the Metro Chamber of Commerce that just went out to D.C. for their annual cap to cap trip. And what I heard from them coming back uh, from their trip and also in talking to some of the federal agencies we work with is that there's really a push for cooperative federalism mm-hmm. where we have, um, you know, national, state and local governments working together and trying to to solve common problems rather than clashing over policies that are really dominated by the national government. So, you know, I, I hope that we can continue to partner on these issues because they're of critical importance to each of these levels of government. You know, you, you know, quite frankly, I think to have successful projects, you have to collaborate. And they work so much better. Yes, they take longer, uh, a, a longer time to kind of put all the pieces together. But for me, I would rather take a little bit longer time and make sure we do it right. The first time, yes, we're going to have bumps in the road and we're going to have challenges. But the fact of the matter is, is this is something that we need now and not later. Exactly. So you brought up a number of the applications that broadband is a a critical foundation for, including education and telemedicine. You also mentioned agriculture, and I know this is a big issue for you and your district um, and the residents in that area, which is largely rural and agricultural. So can you talk a little bit about the role that that broadband plays in agriculture 2.0? Sure. Many people know that I farm 80 acres of walnuts with my brothers outside of Winters. And uh, the challenge that I have seen is that it's a, a, it's kind of um, it's interesting. My father passed away two years ago, and he did all the paperwork. And we really never did any of it because he liked to do it his way. And now a lot of the requirements is that everything has to be filed electronically. Well, lo and behold, at our ranch, we have uh, really, really poor connectivity where we can't even get some of the forms over to the government agencies for filings. So it's really vital to the future of agriculture that we have this Internet capabilities. You know, for example, um, many of the farmers are now replanting their uh, orchards or they're planting new orchards and we really need to monitor water more precisely and obviously it helps with the conservation of water but we can do a lot of that via the internet if we have the capabilities in some of these areas so there's a lot of things that we could use um we have farmers that do trading um, across uh, overseas, and they have to try to find a good hot spot sometimes to actually do their trades for walnuts and almonds in a really good, secure area because many areas in rural areas, you just can't get the connectivity. Uh, and obviously, that affects our trade and our uh, economy as well. Great. Yeah. And we, we talked with Trish Kelly about some of the environmental benefits as well with being able to whether it's telecommuting, reducing your vehicle miles traveled. Um, definitely you brought up the reduced water potential with remote sensing. So I, I think there's a lot of potential here. It, it's also a way that we can engage community members. And a lot of cities and I know state agencies as well are creating open data platforms to make information more available. What application do you see in helping people access and better engage with state government related to these open data portals and sort of smart city applications. You know, when I think about particularly on the data that's needed and and people to be able to access it, I continually to go back to the rural communities where distance to get to the capital or to talk to agencies sometimes is really a challenge. 
and be able to get online, uh, particularly when we're doing economic development projects, trying to figure out what the hotspots are, working with different agencies, particularly um, I'm working with uh, UC Davis on the uh, with the Center of Regional Change, looking at how we can increase economic development in some of our communities, particularly Lake County. So I see this as an opportunity of giving good information to the supervisors of those cities as well as the city's planning departments of what could come to a area if they had the data available to them. So that's how I would see that. Graham, we've talked in the, the past on this podcast and um, in the regional dinners that you've attended as well around some of the, the smart city applications that are available now where cities are using sensors for everything from smart lights that dim or brighten when people pass to save energy to trash cans that can compact and alert the government when they're full. But of course, these all rely on wireless technology. So what's what's your thought on how we balance continuing to innovate in this space, especially where it meets our environmental goals, without leaving rural communities behind? You know, um, I think once we be, we're able to get the infrastructure out to the rural communities, they will start jumping uh, on board and understanding the importance of what we're trying to do to reduce greenhouse gases and things along that line. I think Unfortunately, in many of our rural communities in smaller cities, we don't always have the technology or the expertise that sit on some of our councils and our commissions, and we always have to rely on consultants to come in and to train us. I think once we give the opportunity to have broadband in some of these areas, I think it's only going to grow and people will be more inquisitive on what can they do to reduce, what can they do for, as you said, for the garbage cans being full or whatever the case might be. I think those things will really come to the limelight. Right now, they're not on the radar because if you don't know about it, you don't move forward. And I think, um, particularly in the rural communities, um, some of my areas are very conservative, and um, I think it's a lot of they want to see it to believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know the other thing we're seeing related to um, the availability of internet and the rapid advancements in this space are the the decline of retail Mm -hmm. and that's hitting suburban areas much harder than it is more urban areas we look the bureau of labor statistics said that approximately 30,000 jobs were lost in march alone so we're seeing all these um, retail bankruptcies as people move towards e-commerce and so i'm i'm curious your thoughts both on what that means for community to be losing these retail jobs and also what that means for um, workforce development needs to keep up with the changing pace of the economy and the jobs that are available. Well, you know, I think during the past couple of years, I think um, we've all noticed that retail is going to be is, is struggling because you can do so much online. But also, I think this is a time we need to look at as an opportunity, is what other kind of businesses could be in a rural area that couldn't be there before, because now that they have the access to the internet. So there are companies that are out in rural areas 
that are unable to get their product to market. And I think this is going to give some of the smaller businesses a, a greater, a little bit more leverage than they've had before uh, to be able to compete. There's no doubt about it. I said, you know, with the retail, it is going to be difficult. I guess probably we should probably be figuring out a, a good transportation mode because when people start buying things online, every time I see the uh, UPS or the FedEx gentleman in town, there's a lot more than there was before. So we've got to figure out uh, our transportation, um, how we're going to work with transportation. So there's no doubt that retail is getting hit on this, but I think we have to find some opportunities that my my community was in winters. We did a three-pronged approach, which I thought was pretty innovative for a small community is that people wanted to have a storefront, but you can't live off a storefront, as you know, in, in many communities. But if you also have a internet presence and you're selling your products so that gives you two ways to to increase your uh, income but also we had them do an event help doing an event in your community and make sure you have a table so that people know about your products so you know you just have to think a little bit outside the box on some of these things You'll see when you go, as I travel 1,250 miles per week during my campaign, I met so many people that are retired and they're brilliant and they want to continue working and they don't have internet capabilities. So in Lake County, I've met people that invented a hoverboard and he would love to start his business again and he's an entrepreneur, but he doesn't have good quality, accessible internet. People want to move, just for instance, in winters. Small community, they can afford a home. They work for the Googles. They work for the Facebooks. They live. Uh, they work in the city, and they can work at home if they had good internet. So, you know, at the dais at one time, I met with a developer, and he came in, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, my God, Cecilia is the broadband queen, and forgot to say, oh, my God, did you put infrastructure in for internet? And right at the dais, he said he would do it. He did put it in, and he sold his homes for $4,000 more per home. So there's so many access to this. Uh, every day I meet somebody saying, if we only had internet in our community, we could do psychiatric evaluations, initial ones over the internet. We could do, you know, um, look at skin, uh, take pictures of um, rashes on someone's skin. The medical field needs this. The early education people need this. The economy. And there's just, it's just opens up so much. And the best part about it is with this bill, we're going to change people's lives. And I just gets a lump in my throat thinking, we came together with the telecoms. Every one of them were, you know, apprehensive initially. And we all sat down and we brokered a, a fantastic deal. Um, I just want to make sure we get this through. We need a lot of support from both sides of the aisle to make this through. But this is a benefit to every single resident in the state of California. And we always say we're the cutting edge. Let's be the cutting edge. Other smaller areas and states are doing it. Why not California? I wanted to say um, all these years that I've worked with Kate, Kate, thanks for all you do. Um, continue the great work. And remember, my door is always open for suggestions. All right. Thank you so much, Cecilia. Great to talk with you. Nice to talk to you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, wow, Kate, that was really a, a great conversation. Um, thank you for asking so many uh, thoughtful questions. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to be a part of the conversation. So we're going to try to wrap up these shows with a little each of us sharing something we were seeing in the news. And do you have something you want to share? Sure. This has been in the news for a number of weeks now and has really been striking. And, and that's the the decline in retail we're seeing in the United States. There was 
has been nine retail bankruptcies in 2017. We're talking about big names like JCPenney, Radio Shack, Macy's, Sears, have all announced major store closures. Um, Sports Authority has liquidated. Payless has filed for bankruptcies. This is just something we're we're seeing weekly, businesses going under and, and closing stores. I just read that according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, brought this point up earlier in our conversation, the retail sector lost approximately 30,000 jobs in March alone. So, you know, this is a a huge hit both to our workforce and the the availability of jobs, but also to our, our communities. We have empty stores that are now vacant, and when you have these huge malls that are getting shut down, it it leaves a big hole in in the community. And so I think this is going to be a major challenge for cities and counties to adjust their land use policies and think creatively about how to revitalize those spaces, but also be thinking differently about workforce moving forward. Retail jobs are a huge part of of our workforce. Um, Cashiers and retail salespeople are the two largest job categories in the country, with more than 8 million workers. So that has a major impact on the employment levels. And a lot of that is, um, you know, we clearly are seeing the booming of e-commerce. We have 50% of people that are uh, Amazon Prime subscribers. So a lot of people are, are utilizing the Internet um, to, to get their, their amenities but we're also seeing a shift in the way people are spending money. Travel is booming at a time when there are people spending less on on retail. So we're seeing people eating out more, traveling more, instead of buying new clothes, for example. And then we've just built too many malls. And so we, we've really exceeded the supply related to the demand. So I think we're really going to need to be able to pivot and adjust our workforce, but also be thinking of differently about how we provide local services and how we utilize our community spaces. Yeah, sounds like a topic for a series of podcasts. Absolutely. The other, I think, the other implication too is that you know related to that lack of access to internet is. Um, some of the places that get hit hardest by some of these retail closings are the more rural places that then end up with less access to, you know, to buying physical goods that they need, especially if they don't, if they in turn don't have access to the internet uh, to buy stuff. Right. So it's a, it's a complicated subject. The the one thing that I, that I, I just wanted to bring up and share is that um, I just saw John Ridley uh, is has a new documentary coming out about the riots in LA, or at least maybe it has already come out yet called Let It Fall. And I John Ridley has become kind of an extraordinary storyteller filmmaker. In addition to documentaries, you know, he's done some amazing stuff like the movie Twelve Years a Slave. I don't know if you had a chance to see that, but it's maybe one of the more powerful movies I've ever seen. And he's tackled the subject of the L.A. riots um, in 1992 and, and tells the story of the 10 years leading up to the riots. And I think that particularly in this moment of a little bit of national turmoil, a lot of issues around race, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see that story. He tells the story through uh, interviews with 25 people who were who were involved, um, who, who were impacted or were 
involved in the I don't say involved in the riots. They weren't necessarily rioters, but they were there were people who were involved in the event, police officers, citizens. Um, I don't know if you remember there was a famous it, this all started with the Rodney King video. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first kind of videos where you know viral videos. But there was also a, a video of a, a white trucker who had been pulled out of a truck and was being beaten. And there's a African-American man who saves him. So that's one of the people that he interviews. But I'm really looking forward to to seeing the documentary. Uh, he's an extraordinary filmmaker, and I think it'll be very informative and very timely to, to see what he has to say about the events. Definitely. I look forward to seeing that. Certainly we don't want to see history repeating itself, and we have seen riots in places like Baltimore, and we know that these aren't issues that are are getting sparked just then and there. These are issues that have bubbled up for years and years that, that come to a tipping point. So anything we can learn from that, I think it's certainly timely to be able to draw something away from the experience there. Kate, thank you so much. Thanks for another great interview. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.